Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. How is your THC drink, you freaking weed head? It, it doesn't taste that great. It doesn't taste good? <laughs> it's not good. Oh, no. It's uh, cheap, though. Mm. It's like a lot of milligrams for not that much money. Sure. And if you're a lightweight THC person, as I am, I was into it. Love that. But it just it looks pink, but it really doesn't taste like anything. For all you nerds out there who don't know about weed drinks, we have... Weed drinks. Weed drinks. <laughs> can drink Those our nerds. weed <laughs> it's the move uh, if you get like a little low dosage sure yeah i'm it. i don't partake anymore because i am an anxious baby who can't handle anything really so hey you know it is what it is no you know yourself that's true right that's true i'm i'm much happier when i'm not high so that's good but anyway welcome to the show welcome to the pod we hope you're doing well on your drive yes i can see you no. <laughs> I can imagine? see you turning on to I number number yeah. interstate. Right. Oh my God. The other day I got a message somewhere that someone said they had to pull over while they were listening to one of the episodes. And I was like, oh God, please be careful. Like, they're like, it was so shocking. I had to pull over. And I was oh, like, really? oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> wow. The shock value was there though. Yeah, seriously. But hey, if you're driving, be careful. Look at the road. Yeah, be careful. But you know, <laughs> it's like listening to a radio show, really. Yeah, whenever it's recorded I, radio. Whenever I talk to my papa about the podcast, he's like, "You're on the radio," and I'm like, "Well, kind of, like, yeah, not really." We have our own radio show, but then my mom's like, "Oh, he, it just say yes, you're on the radio." <laughs> and I'm like, "Okay, yeah, I'm on the radio." He can't handle. This. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But hey, bonus episode number two comes out this week. That's true. I was excited about recording it. It's gonna yep. be sweet. Hell yeah. We've got an 11-year-old girl having to save her father's life in the Canadian winter tundra. Is it a tundra? I don't know. Is that the right word? It sounds right. It's like Feels negative. Feels right. Very negative degrees. Negative, very cold. Very cold. Lots of stressful things happening. And it's up to an 11-year-old to save her father's life. So that's what we're dealing with over on bonus episode number two. Um, you can find that on our Patreon. What's the link to that? I don't know. I'm a curious person. Oh, yeah, I don't know. It might be patreon.com slash notodaypodcast okay. if you wanted to check it out. Good um, to know. But anyway, I mentioned on, I believe, our last episode that if you wanted to hear some pet savior stories, then I would do that. And I, I took a poll and widely, 100% of everyone wanted to hear them. So ask and you shall receive. And really, not really ask. I, I told, and you said, yeah, sure. So Validate and you shall receive? Validate and know. you shall receive, baby. Vote. Make your voice heard. So that's what we're doing today. We're going to be talking about some pets saving their owners' lives. And also one fun bonus one at the end that isn't about that, but it's still, still about an animal, so I, I thought I'd throw it in. Shall we jump in? Let's jump in. Okay. So I got all of my stories from a documentary series called Pet Heroes. So that's fun. Okay. So story number one, we are going to take it on down to Caliente, Cal- <laughs> let's try that again, Caliente, <laughs> California in 2008. <laughs> you like that? I don't know. That's so funny. I tripped up it's over so my dumb. words. <laughs> you know, you ever get stuck on your lips where you're like, blah, 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 you know what I'm saying? I get stuck on everything yeah. when I'm telling the story. Fair. 
But anyway, we're going to go down to California in 2008, baby. So Elena Hansen lives on a ranch in a remote volcanic basin at the base of the Southern Sierra Mountains. She considers her home to be paradise, and she even calls it Eden. It's extremely remote. Elena said that there may be 500 households in a 500 square mile area. So everyone gets a square mile. It's fair. Everyone gets 100 square miles, right? No, a square. No. What? There's 500 square miles for 500 houses. Yeah, you right. <laughs> okay. You know. Okay. Oh. <laughs> so we good? No, we good. we good, fam. We're not gonna. We're not gonna address how stupid I just sounded. It's cool. So the closest gallon of milk, she said, is 67 miles away. Unless you have a cow. That's true. Or goat. Right. Shout out goats. Or you milk the teat of an almond. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's my favorite thing. You love that. We have cashew milk this week. We do. I was trying. I was feeling crazy. So we're trying that out this week. Anyway, <laughs> point being, Elena's very remote. And she has to go 60 miles for milk. True. But she loved the idea of being a self-sufficient woman. Woman. She wanted to be as self-sufficient as she could be. And it was a great place to do that and to raise her child. But at this point, she was living in this home by herself with her two dogs, stars of the show, Arky, who was an Irish wolfhound, and Decoy, who is an English mastiff. Okay. Big dogs. Mm -hmm. To Elena, her dogs were her constant companions. They were working dogs, and they were also her built-in security system. She said they are completely non-aggressive, or she wouldn't have them, but because of their size, they are definitely intimidating. But also, when a mountain lion or a bear would come around their house, they would bark and let her know. So they, she, they still had some element of security system happening. Right. Even though There's they were still very... some dog in there. Yeah. They're, they're dogs. Like, if shit goes down... Well, we're going to find out what happens when shit goes right? down. So, Arky was named after Archimedes, who is, or was, rather, a Greek mathematician. And that's kind of unimportant, but that's who he was named after. Anyway, he didn't really know he was a huge dog. He had very much the personality of, I am still a puppy, and I don't care how big I am. I'm going to sit on your lap. Mm, I feel like this is a common dog thing. That is, Yeah, that's you true. My, my aunt has two Great Danes, and they're gigantic. Dinosaurs. They're like dinosaurs, and they sit on her lap, like on the couch, and they take up the entire couch. It's, it's very comical to see a picture of them sitting on her lap because she's like you know little and they're gigantic anyway you get it so that's what he had the mentality of i am tiny puppy and on the flip side elena said decoy personified a sloth okay okay so he didn't really move if he didn't have to he was originally a rescue dog that was bred for dog fighting and for being a watchdog for a drug operation in bakersfield They kept him chained by his neck to a tree stump in 115 degree heat with no shade. But she had rescued him from that life. And she said, although he's huge and terrifying looking, he was very gentle and completely devoted to Elena. Very sad. (laughs) When I I heard that, I was like, that is so fucked that people do that. But anyway, I'm happy that he has a better life now. That summer in the Sierra Mountains, there was a huge destructive wildfire that went on for about a month. And because of that fire, the wild animals in these mountains had been forced out of their usual areas, and there had been a big increase in, like, bear sightings and deer sightings and just general wildlife... Sightings. Sightings, exactly. 
But the wildfires weren't the only thing that happened. They also experienced torrential rains in July. So good for no more fire. But then it meant that the rains washed out trees and boulders and completely changed the terrain. The ecosystem of this mountain and like the wildlife was completely out of whack. These rains had silted in Elena's spring, which she used as a water supply for her orchards and her garden. So because of that, she had to dig out the spring by hand to get the water flowing again. And this was a big job because she had to dig through about five or six feet down into the mud to get back to the water, like to get it flowing again. She had to dig underwater? Part of it, yeah. So there was like a little box of water and she had to like kind of remove rocks and things like that out of the way to get the water flowing again. But I think the the rain like made mud come down on top of the stream. So she had to physically clear it away. That way she could have the water flowing again. Damn. Yeah, big job for a singular person. She probably had a shovel, but in the documentary, at least in this part, she was digging out rocks with her hands. Hey, you know, more power to her. Oh, yeah. No, she was getting getting it done. done. She was definitely doing that. It was July 22nd, 2008, and it began as any ordinary day on Elena's ranch. First thing in the morning, she was out and about doing her chores, and she had already begun digging out her spring, and at this point, she was about knee-deep in a small pool of water, but was working to remove big rocks, like I said. At that point, she had been reaching into this extremely cold water to pull out rocks for about two hours. And at that time, she decided that she should get out and kind of warm up because she was starting to lose feeling in her legs. So she's like, yeah, it's time, you know. It's a good move. Right. She said it was an absolutely perfect day. The sun was shining. The birds were singing. Her dogs were sleeping down by the creek just around the bend. So... She was really savoring the moment, you know, having one of those like, I'm the main character, you know, because gorgeous ranch, sun, birds, dogs, you understand. You know, she's having a Garden of Eden moment. Literally. And so she has definitely seen wildlife around. She is no stranger to going on hikes or riding her horses or, you know, just she sees wildlife. She had always seen it as a gift when she spotted a bear because it was very special to her. But that was when she would ride her horse past one in the distance, or, you know, she would see one very far away on a hike. So it was never, like, in her face. Do you see where this is going? Yep. But this was very different. There was a bear right in her face as she, like, basically turned a little tiny bend, and it was right in front of her, staring down at her. And she knew that this was about to be the moment where she would be attacked, but there wasn't anything she could do about it. There was maybe a half a second of eye contact before this bear leapt at her, knocked her into the mud, grabbed her by the ears, and bit into her face. Oh, God. Yeah. Next thing she knew, she was lying there with her face in the water while the bear literally chewed on her head. It was bad. She said she thought to herself as this was happening, so this is what it feels like to be eaten by a bear. (laughs) Imagine. Imagine. How do you have that thought in that moment? I imagine she must be a very matter-of-fact person. Sure, but like, what? What? I know. I know. So, anyway, she said she could feel every bite and her bones crunching. I mean, you know, how do you not? But, God, that's visceral. She even felt it bite through her eye and her skin being torn. No. And when she opened her eye... She said that the bear's eye was directly at her eye, quote-unquote, as close as a kiss. Oh my god. 
that's when she said she had the realization that her hand was right by her face, kind of like, you know, stuck up by her face. And she took her thumb and jammed it right into the bear's eye and then did it again and again until finally the bear let go of her face and Elena had enough time to yell for her dogs who were asleep just a few yards away. She immediately yelled out for Arky because she knew that he'd come and that decoy would follow him. So they come running. And Wendy McClelland, a doctor of veterinary medicine, said that dogs can detect when someone is in danger very quickly. So in this case, Wendy speculated that the strain in Elena's voice alerted the dogs to the fact that she was in danger. And because of their bond to her, they responded immediately. So they're pulling up on this bear. They are pulling up. And they're squatted up. Squatted? <laughs> Squat. Squad? Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I know what you're saying. <laughs> I promise I haven't had a weed drink. I know I sound crazy, but <laughs> I am stone cold sober, baby. Goddamn. But anyway, so Irish wolfhounds and mastiffs are bred to be soldiers and hunters, and it's those traits that allowed them to react in the way that they did. The dogs ran up to Elena, who was being attacked by the bear, and immediately started barking at the bear. And Elena said she didn't know what was happening, but after only a moment, she was lying there when she heard one of her dogs scream out in pain. When she looked over, she saw the bear had decoy pinned down on his back and was chewing on his belly. Ugh. That's not good. I mean, there's nothing you can do either. No, of course. And she was understandably devastated, but she pulled herself up because she knew that her dog was willing to die for her. So the least she could do was honor that sacrifice and try to get herself out of there. Elena had to stumble down around 200 yards of creek bed, and she couldn't see. She was blind and didn't have any shoes on, but she was trying to follow the, an irrigation pipe, but she ended up stumbling into a ravine, which was one of the worst things that could have happened because there are rattlesnakes in ravines or in the, you know, creek. So this was, she thought to herself in that moment, like, Seriously, I got mauled by a bear and now I'm going to be killed by a rattlesnake? Like, how could anything be worse than that? Like, I don't know. This is pretty bad. This is the shit luck. Ugh. Oh my god. Yeah. You went from a main character moment on a beautiful day on your ranch to, like, literally Death. almost dying. Yeah, Mother Nature is not fucking around today. Seriously. And because of that frustration, Elena screamed into the sky this, like, guttural, primal scream. And Arky heard Elena scream and came running to her aid. This 200-pound puppy let Elena grab onto him, and he led her through the brush and cleared a pathway for her to get out of this mountain. She had her hand on his head as he led her down the mountain and directly to her car. And as soon as Elena made it to the car on this remote road, Arky immediately took back off up the mountain because this man had unfinished business. But as soon as she got into the car to try to drive herself to safety, she heard Arky scream out. So now she thinks this bear has killed both of her dogs. She tried calling back out to Arky to get him to come into the car with her, but as she called to him, Decoy rushed through the brush to Elena's side. So she sees Decoy and she's like, oh my god, Decoy, and she lets him into the car. And at that point, she knows that she needs to go get help, and she really didn't want to leave Arky, but she didn't have much of a choice. She was on a mountain in her car on this suggestion of a road, this like tiny mountain road, and she had to gun it down this mountain without even really being able to see. 
but she figured, she said, I figured gravity would help me get to the bottom of the mountain. (laughs) One way or another. We're getting down one way or another. I don't know if it's going to be on a road, but... Yeah, okay, so she has to be able to see something, right? Well, half of her face is completely torn up. Just gone. So she can see just barely out of one eye, but even still, she probably can't see very well at all. Okay, but I was like, she's driving, you know? You can't be driving if you're completely blind. She also had no other choice. be able to detect a... I mean, I guess you could have stayed in the car. And what, bled out? Cell phone? I don't think that was an option. Yeah. You want me to call her up? Yes, I do. (laughs) Except that she won't answer. She doesn't have a cell phone. Exactly. She has no idea how she did it, but she managed to drive about three miles to the nearby Kern County Fire Department. And she did that with half of her face torn apart, pretty much blind. So she pulls up and immediately falls out of her car, completely bloody and barefoot. And EMT Evan Davidson was outside when she arrived and he witnessed her pull up and just fall to the ground outside. And so at first glance, Evan's only thought was, oh my God, this lady has a lot of damage to her face. We need to get her help right now. And as he ran up to her side, he was joined by Chief Kurt Merrill as well. Evan asked for her name and she said Elena Hansen, which was when he was completely shocked because Evan knew Elena Hansen and this person was completely unrecognizable because of her injuries. She told the men that she was by herself with her two dogs when she was attacked by a bear, but her dogs intervened and she believed that one of her dogs was killed during the attack. She knew the decoy was alive and with her, but she didn't know how badly he'd been injured because she couldn't see him. So she had no idea, and she heard him, you know, yelping in pain when he was initially attacked-ish by the bear. Chewed on. Chewed on. That's true, yeah. So she didn't know. He could have died too, you know? And as she lay there, the men tended to her wounds the best they could until a helicopter got there to airlift her to UCLA Hospital. But, you know, they had to wait quite a bit because they're in the middle of nowhere, baby. It's not like it just immediately appears. I mean, yeah. It's not how hospitals work. But at the hospital, doctors worked for 10 hours and used over 1,000 stitches to rebuild Elena's face. 1,000 stitches. God damn. Knock on wall, but I have never had a single stitch. Have you? I had four for my foot. Oh, right. They took out a chunk. They did take out a chunk. I've seen it. It's still a big scar, but I had like four or five stitches and it was, you know, Pretty good chunk. Now imagine over a thousand stitches in your face. No. That's town. That's bad. 250 times more <gasps> than my worst. Arky and Decoy were successful in fighting off the bear because they took on a tag team approach. And this is from... Love this. These A lot of these dog facts or general animal facts are coming from straight up professionals talking about dogs. So they know yeah, about dude. breeds. They know about behaviors. They're giving they it to They know us. about tactics fighting a bear dude yeah apparently so this is common for dogs who are in the wild when they are either attacking a predator or defending against one this tag team approach what they do is one will attack while the other distracts which is very effective that's the move you know (laughs) you want to pull up with arky and decoy they pulled up just be like and they had a little little one two they gave them distract attack perfect and these two breeds make a great team the wolfhound brought the swiftness the swiftness and reliability, and the mastiff brought in the courage and the power. We love that. 
Not long after receiving the emergency reconstructive surgery on her face, Elena returned home to find Decoy waiting for her, which was not very surprising because she knew he was alive. She was so happy to see him, and as she bent down at her car to greet him, she saw Arky running toward her as well. So, obviously, Elena burst into tears because she fully believed Arky was dead, but there he was, and it was as if nothing had ever happened. They ran up to her, they licked her, they were joyous, and the dogs had only sustained minor injuries. Oh, for real? For real. I I can't believe it. I'm waiting for, like... They got nothing? Just a few scratches? Yeah. Did their kind of attack distract work that well? Yes. Against the full-ass bear? A whole bear. They didn't even... They came out with, like, a a few scratches. Dude, this ain't a whole bear. This is a 2% bear. No, it was a whole bear. It's not a 2% bear. (laughs) (laughs) It's a skim bear. Each week, I speak to inspirational people. Each one of them has been on their own remarkable journey. They've all chosen to share their stories with one aim, that if people can relate and get comfort from it, if it can help someone. As one of my guests said, there's so much going on in the world. We should be focusing on helping one another and making each other better. Each one is a superhero not because they have special powers it's because in spite of what they've gone through they keep on going i find them remarkable please listen to chatholic and hear their stories <laughs> so stupid so stupid <laughs> this is not a fucking skin bear it yo was you whole- got a milk ass bear <laughs> Anyway, after only a few weeks, Chief Kurt Merrill said he was astounded at how well Elena recovered. He said it was absolutely because of her dogs distract and attack. He was like, yes. Going after them and they fought off the bear that Elena survived and got away. And they believed that if her dogs weren't there, Elena would have been out there for days or even weeks before her body would have been found. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't have that many visitors, I imagine. No, definitely not. Yeah. So Elena said she doesn't feel vengeful toward the bear because it's a bear. (laughs) They attack. She's like, yeah, it sucks, but also it's a bear. It's what they do. Right. It wasn't personal. But Elena said that her dogs are her family and they're everything to her. And at the end, she said they're her heroes, but she doesn't want to tell them that because she doesn't want it to go to their heads. (laughs) Please. (laughs) So that is the end of Elena's story and her dogs, Arky and Decoy. Damn. I mean, when you said pets saving their owners, I didn't mean it would be this. I didn't think it would be this literal. Oh, yeah. These are these are fun stories. I mean, when in doubt, have a tag team. Mastiff and Irish Wolfhound. It's the move, or apparently. something. Yeah. All right. So moving on to story number two, shall we? Let's do it. This next story takes place in Edmonton in June of 2011. Jenny and Ryan Conroe were a young couple in charge of a bustling family. They had six kids. Five of them were boys under the age of 14. So. Oh, God. Jesus Christ. And the family loved living in Edmonton. And at the time, they had been there for 11 years. The ninth member of their family was their husky Malamute mix named Luna. Okay. I'm liking it. You would have loved Luna if you ever get the honor of meeting her because you are a big fan of huskies. We love the screaming. Mm-hmm. 
I like a group of them. Oh, a like, group of huskies. A group screaming? of like six. Yeah, it's the one best. of them. All you have to do is say like walk, and they just lose their shit. One goes, and then they're all like rah rah rah. It's my favorite content. <laughs> you understand? Very good. Um, my neighbor growing up had two huskies. One of which was named Woo Woo, because oh, guess what she said? Woo 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 over and over again. Really? So, her name's Woo Woo. Anyway, <laughs> that is so amazing. I know. Calling so, your dog Woo Woo? Yeah. Woo Woo. Yeah. Like, how fun is that to say? Yeah. Move on. <laughs> Moving on. Getting back to Luna, the real star of the show. So they've gotten Luna later in in her life, but she quickly became part of their family and made a very strong bond, specifically with Jenny. They had gotten Luna two and a half years prior when her original owner had to give her up. They had gotten another younger dog, and Luna and this other dog were fighting for dominance. And apparently they were reluctant to let either of the dogs go, but they decided on Luna. Which I'm like, that's kind of fucked up. You got a new shiny dog and you let the old one go? I mean, it's fucked up that you have to pick. Yeah, but you just... Let the old one go? Isn't that fucked up? That's what I'm saying. Let the young one go more potential well right right? but you you own this dog you've had it for longer you have like a stronger bond to this dog you get like a younger puppy and then you just want the puppy so you let the older dog go that's shitty yeah anyway it's beside the point i was just like what the fuck anyway i mean but that's also shitty if you were to like get the puppy and then just rehome it yeah after like two or three years but i feel like a puppy would adjust better than an older dog maybe anyway this is beside the point After screening different couples to see who would be the best fit for Luna, they came across Jenny and Ryan. And right away after meeting Luna, she went up to Jenny and laid down on her back and allowed her to rub her belly, which was a good sign. This means, I love you already, Jenny. You can be my new mom. But other than their chemistry, what ultimately led Luna's original owners to picking Jenny and Ryan was kind of weird. So Luna has blue eyes and one of them has a brown spot in it. And Jenny has the same thing. Really? Blue eyes and one brown spot. So because their eyes matched, this woman believed that this was a sign that Jenny was supposed to take Luna. Okay. Right. So Jenny wasn't complaining because she loved Luna from the first time she met her, and that day she got to take her home. Amazing. New dog alert. And um, from do you that... Think, do you think Luna knew, like, saw the same eyes? Was like... She's like, oh my god, sis. like, this is my homie, dude. <laughs> That'd be pretty sweet. But from that moment on, their bond only grew. Jenny says she doesn't know how to describe their relationship other than they're like best friends. So they are homies. And according to Jenny, Luna senses when things aren't right, and she especially keeps an eye on Aaron, who is their three-year-old son. Aaron is probably fucking some shit up. Well, just wait and hear about this. So if he's getting into trouble, Luna will go and get Jenny and tell on him. Oh my god. Isn't that funny? On one occasion- Dude, this- Luna's a rat. (laughs) yo luna snitches get stitches babe what the fuck luna (laughs) on one occasion aaron decided he wanted to take eggs out of the fridge and put them on the floor and then put on his father's shoes to smash them obviously love this this is good this is classic toddler mayhem right and seeing this luna this is a sophisticated for a three-year-old I feel like (laughs) this is like pretty sophisticated way to cause mayhem he was advanced this I feel is like well if thought I, out. I think if I pulled up on this, I'd just be kind of like... Impressed? And It's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. But Luna didn't think that. And she went down the hall to find Jenny folding some laundry in a, a bedroom and basically telepathically was like, hey, you're going to want to do something about this. 
So she led Jenny to the kitchen where she found Aaron and stopped him from smashing the eggs and making a mess. Not funny. That's amazing. I know. And Luna just did things like that. She would just alert Jenny if things weren't right. Jenny also described Luna as very wolf-like. She would spend most of her time in the house in the summertime, but come winter, all she wanted to do was be outside. But, you know, she's a husky and all that fur isn't made for the heat. It's made for the snow. And it was summer. Because, like I said in the beginning of the story, it takes place in June. And one afternoon, their sons were playing in the backyard while Luna laid under a tree watching over them. And that's when she first sensed that something was wrong. And she was the only one that would have been able to sense this threat. She started sniffing around the yard and then started digging. And that day it had started raining and the kids went inside because of that. But Luna was insistent upon staying outside and digging. And she had never liked the rain before, but she was anxious to stay out in the yard. At some point, she had been brought back inside, but by 3 a.m., when Jenny got home from work, Luna was up and again was whining and pawing at the door to get back outside. And it was still pouring, but of course, Jenny let her out thinking she just had to pee. And usually, Luna would just go outside, do her business, and then come back in, but this time, Jenny had to call for her, which was already weird because Luna doesn't like the rain and she's never needed to be called back in. And when Luna came back inside, she was completely covered in mud, like head to toe mud. And Jenny was exhausted from work and Ryan was there as well. And they both, the both of them started cleaning her off with a towel. And as they were cleaning her off, Jenny said Luna was looking up at her with this look in her eyes of something's wrong. Jenny knew this was extremely odd behavior, but she didn't understand what was going on, and although it looked like Luna was anxious about something, it was so late and they were both exhausted, so they decided to just go to sleep. But all night, Luna was at the door, alert to whatever was wrong. She had discovered a serious threat to her family's safety. She had smelt an odor that was coming up from the ground that her humans couldn't smell. It was a deadly natural gas. Huh? Dude, Luna is, I was going to say, like, carbon monoxide detector. <laughs> she just, she knows. Mm-hmm. According to Robert Church, who is a director for the Pets of Life Foundation, dogs have an extremely advanced sense of smell. Humans have 5 million scent, recep- scent receptors, and dogs have up to 300 million scent receptors. So they, they be smelling. Mm-hmm. The next morning, Jenny had to get back up early for work, and she went out into the backyard to see what Luna had done, but she was already running late for work and didn't have time. So she went to work, and just a little while later, she got a call from her husband who said Luna had continued digging in this big muddy hole in their backyard, and she was still digging. And he didn't really think much of it at first, he just thought that she was having a good time, but he was annoyed that he had to clean her off again. That was kind of all that was on his radar. But throughout the day, he went back out in the yard to check on this hole because Luna's prints were all over the yard around this hole and it was just weird. He thought maybe there was a dead animal buried there or something like that, but at this point, he at least knew that she was interested in something underground. He just didn't know what it was. That evening when Jenny got back home from work, they went outside again to look at this hole and by that time, it had partially filled up with rainwater. When they looked in, they saw that there was this these tiny air bubbles coming up through the water and they were continuous. Like they were, it was just like a continuous stream of bubbles coming up from the dirt. 
and that's when Jenny thought it could possibly be a gas leak. Ryan thought that would be crazy, but the two went inside to call for someone to come in and look into it further. Gas leaks are extremely dangerous. It could be flammable and cause an, an actual explosion. So this is a very serious thing. Yeah, I'm also like, can it contaminate the groundwater or the water maybe? Maybe. Andy Panecki was a senior officer with the hazardous materials team of the Calgary Fire Department. And according to him, gas leaks underground specifically are particularly hazardous because they're very difficult to detect and because the gas will flow underground and come up pretty much wherever it can, meaning homes and businesses. Oh, okay. So, so it comes up exactly where the people are. Right, exactly. Worst case scenario with a backyard gas leak would be if it went undetected for a long time and it gathered in, in and around the house and could eventually blow up the entire house if there was any kind of flame, like a stove per se. Not good. Right. So they called the gas company and within 15 minutes, a technician arrived. And after inspecting the hole, he told the couple that yes, they definitely had a gas leak. And this gas leak was an extremely bad one. And if detected any later, it could have killed everyone, essentially. Luna had smelled the gas leak. And because she was very protective of her family and her territory, and she smelled something was off, she started digging and she found the threat. That's insane. She's like detective Luna. Yeah. She's got a little monocle and everything. <laughs> I know, that's crazy. That's so, like, such a human thing to detect. And then something, like, I don't know, fairly advanced? Well, I mean, it makes sense, though, that a dog would detect it over a human because carbon monoxide, like, you don't smell that. But a dog might, you know? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, it does does make sense. It's just weird that she, like, alerted them. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It seems like such an advanced thing for a dog to do. Yeah, Jenny there she is. Jenny said like Luna's special. Like she is definitely not like an average dog. If she hadn't dug the hole, they never would have even called the gas company or had any idea that anything was wrong. So she definitely saved their lives and possibly the lives of other people as well. Yeah, their neighbors too. Yeah, the gas company worked all through the night and through the rain and after like a day and a half, they repaired the issue. If it had been any longer before it was discovered, it could have easily led to, best case scenario, an evacuation, or even worst, a deadly disaster. So, the family does see Luna as their hero. And that's the end of that story. As they should. As they should. Huskies and, I think you said, Alaskan Malamute? Or Malamute? Yeah, she was a Husky-Malamute mix. Right, yeah, like, pretty much closer you get to Wolf, the more intelligent, right? Oh yeah, she definitely... So... But anyway... Shall we move on to number three? Yes, please. More content. Okay. Ooh, this one's intense. So okay. buckle in. So we're going we're gonna to take a trip up to Regina Beach, Saskatchewan. And yes, it is called Regina. <laughs> I don't want to hear anything about it. I wasn't going to say. I, I but, saw your face. You know, <laughs> how am I, am, tell me I'm not supposed to react to that. <laughs> I can't control that. When I was watching the why documentary. Why would that be funny? When I was, why would that be funny? Why would you even think anything weird about that? What are you, like five? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> when I was watching the documentary and they said Regina Beach, I was like, I'm going to have to say Regina Beach. <laughs> I was like, Alex is going to make a face and then I'm going to have to. I tried to not. <laughs> I tried to hold it in. I understand. I appreciate it. I know you wouldn't have made any real noise about it on the podcast. I could have let it slap, slip by. Slap, slip. But. You know, you know me, man. <laughs> 
So Doug and Karen Lyle were a young couple, because everyone's a young couple, apparently. Hello? A yuppel. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> is this our new is this our new thing? We're just gonna be brain dead every week? <laughs> is it funny? I don't know. A Let's yuppel. put a vote. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> My favorite the yuppel swing yuppel. and a miss. The, the yuppel is it was, funny. It was the goodbye. Shut up. Doug and Karen Lyle were a young couple or a yuppel and at that time Doug had just been hired in a government job and the two found a lovely home with a pool in the backyard that they had always dreamed of and they moved in with their pets at the time they had a great dane named amadeus and their cat schwartzy wait they gave their dog a last name what you said emma davis i said amadeus though that's one name Uh uh-huh amadeus okay Emma Davis. Also, you said they moved in with their pets like they were having a relationship where they lived in two different places. <laughs> they made it official with their pets <laughs> and they took it to the next level. They moved in together. <laughs> I'm liking the story already. Good. You have a nice love story plotline. That's great. Not a bestiality plotline. Mm, I'm not going to go You there. know? <laughs> At the time, the couple had been trying for years to get pregnant with no success, which is when they decided they wanted to breed their Great Dane. Because they're like, <laughs> babies? No babies. Okay, puppies. Dog babies. Dog babies. That's good. Okay. So Not going to try and adopt or... That's not a okay. conversation for now. No. They wanted puppies. Okay, we want puppies. Exactly. Okay. They had six Great Dane puppies because that's what Amadeus popped you know. out. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Emma Day is procreating. She did. She popped him out. So Bambi was the pick of the litter. She was the biggest puppy. She was picked first. You know, Queen Bee. Queen Bee. Okay. And the other dogs were given new homes soon after Bambi until Doug and Karen were only left with Bridget, who was the runt of the litter, which I think is funny they named her Bridget because when dogs have human names like Humphrey, I'm like, please. <laughs> or my favorite's Doug. When you name your pug doug that's fantastic but so they're left with bridget who was the runt of the litter but at that point they decided they couldn't part with bridget so they kept her to be a companion for amadeus and shortly after that amadeus was diagnosed with bone cancer unfortunately and did end up passing not long after that however bambi their biggest puppy who had been rehomed first was given back to doug and karen For whatever reason. There's a return policy? I don't know. Maybe the family was like, we actually can't handle a Great Dane, so you can have it back. And they were like, you know what? I'm okay with this. Give me Bamb. Yeah. So this was exciting for them because now they had two dogs again, but it was also an extremely exciting time because the couple had just learned that Karen was finally pregnant. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So when their first son, Forrest, was born, the dogs immediately loved him. They stuck by him all the time. They were always at his crib or his cradle or laying on the blankets with him. They just wanted to be with Forrest. And Karen said it was like they had brought home a puppy for them. (laughs) And Forrest was theirs. They were just very smitten. Love that. Right. Great Danes are big dogs, but Forrest was never bothered by them either. And Karen said that she believes he must have gotten used to their barking while he was in the womb. The womb. They're brothers. No, brothers, sisters. Forrest. They're siblings. Yes, it was like they were siblings. Mm-hmm. Good old sibs. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So Forrest recalled Bridget and Bambi even taught him how to walk. Really? He would hold onto their tails and he would like waddle behind them. 
That is so cute. I know, right? I hope they have video of that. I hope so too. I didn't see it, but I was I heard about it, and now I'm passing along that information to you mm-hmm. as storytelling for note. their sake. I exactly. hope they have it. Me too. So Wendy McClelland, again the animal veterinary person at the beginning that we talked about, said that the dogs were responding to a pheromone that the baby was giving off that let them know that he needed to be watched carefully. If what? A, if a female dog smells that pheromone, they become extremely protective. It's just like a hormone or pheromone. I don't know. Is it the same thing? Who who was giving off the pheromone? Forrest. He's a baby. They're like smelling up on him. And he's like, yes, you are a baby. You need to be watched You're a over. Baby. I have to Wait, so take care of you. They recognize human pheromones? Yeah, he's a baby. They're like, oh, he's a little puppy baby. Puppy baby. Yeah. So they must share enough DNA with us to recognize that pheromone, right? I have no idea, but I suppose. They know he's a baby and they know that they got to take care of him. Right. So that's cool. You know, I should have just said it confidently. You would have believed me. Sure. Also, animal expert Brian Keating said that most dogs will treat babies as puppies in their pack. Since dogs are pack animals, they treat their babies as part of their pack and are extremely protective of them. So it's just, they just understand that they're babies, you know? Yeah, fair enough. By April of 1995, things had taken a downward turn for the family. Doug had lost his job and expenses were really piling up. The couple knew at that point they needed to sell their home and were also dealing with the fact that they might have to give up Bridget and Bambi since they didn't have the money to take care of them anymore. It was still extremely cold in Saskatchewan, but in an effort to make their home more marketable, Doug decided they needed to open up the pool to make the house look even more enticing to prospective buyers. And every day, Doug would go to the post office, which was about three blocks away, or like a five-minute drive, to check and see if, if he had gotten any responses to the resumes that he had submitted for new jobs. And while he did that, Karen would be at home with the baby, who was only two at the time, and would help Doug by writing up more resumes. She would sit at their computer, which was just down the hall from their family room, and she had set up Forrest on a blanket in the middle of the carpet with the dogs right beside him, that way she could look back down the hall and see him playing. And not even two minutes after watching Forrest playing happily in the middle of the floor, she heard Bambi barking. Karen immediately turned around to find that Forrest was not sitting on the blanket anymore, so she rushed down the hallway. And when she got to the family room, she saw that the back sliding door was slightly open, But the dogs were so big that even Bridget, who was the smaller of the dogs, would have a hard time getting through, and Bambi couldn't even fit her head through the opening that was in the door. And when Karen looked outside, she saw that Bridget was in the pool. She thought that Bridget may have fallen in the pool, but thought that it would have been strange considering it was freezing, the water was freezing, and it was really cold outside. And when she opened the door further, Bambi immediately pushed past her and jumped into the pool as well. And that's when she saw Forrest's green pajamas in the pool, and he was face down in the water. Oh my god. My heart just sunk. Yeah. Without even thinking, Karen jumped into the water and grabbed Forrest, and both Bambi and Bridget swam behind her and pushed her back with their noses to help her get out of the water with Forrest. As soon as Karen got out of the pool and got Forrest onto the ground, she saw that his eyes were closed and he wasn't breathing. She ran back into the house with Forrest and immediately dialed 911. And Karen did have CPR training, but at that point she was in complete shock and couldn't snap out of it and remember any of her previous CPR training. And although she was on the phone with a 911 operator who was trying to tell her what to do, she was completely hysterical and she wasn't listening to a word this operator was saying. 
He even told her that if she didn't stop and listen to him, there wasn't anything he could do. And the dogs were right beside Karen and wouldn't leave Baby Forrest's side. Karen didn't have any way to reach Doug while he was at the post office, but thankfully only seconds later he walked through the door to hear Karen screaming. Doug immediately ran inside to find Forrest laying in a pool of water on the carpet and his lips were blue. He immediately jumped into doing CPR and mouth-to-mouth resuscitation on Forrest, and after a little bit, Forrest coughed up a bit of water, but then he stopped breathing again. After three whole minutes, Forrest had finally started showing signs of life again, and paramedics had been dispatched, but they were coming from 60 kilometers away, so it was going to take a little while. But after that, Forrest stopped breathing again, and the 911 dispatcher asked to talk to Doug. So he asked if Doug was covering Forrest's nostrils as well as his mouth when he was doing mouth-to-mouth, and Doug said no. So he said, okay, plug his nose as well. And when Doug did that, he seemed to have a better response, and soon after that, paramedics made it through the door and took over from Doug. Once they got Forrest breathing on his own, they loaded him up into the ambulance, and Karen climbed in with them, and they all went to the hospital. While emergency room doctors worked on Forrest, Doug and Karen had to sit in the waiting room and hope for the best. I can't even imagine how scary that must have been. But the doctor came out smiling, which is always what you want to see, and told them that Forrest would be totally fine. So he is okay. Wow, that's insane. It always seemed like once you got someone resuscitated, they were just back to life. You know, to have him stop breathing again... Three times. Three times? Seemed, like, really weird to me. Yeah. But maybe it's more realistic. I don't know. Every movie you see, it's just like... They just cough up the water and it's Yeah, and then it's done. Right. Well, I think the problem was he wasn't doing mouth-to-mouth correctly, so maybe they weren't getting all the water out. Maybe. Yeah. And then probably not getting enough oxygen or something. Yeah. But he was okay. And when they went back to see him, he was groggy but alert, and they were beyond relieved. Doctors believed that the shock of the extremely cold water caused Forrest's vital functions to shut down very rapidly, which allowed him to survive long enough for Bridget and Bambi to alert Karen. Wow. So this is another, like, cold saves you. Yep. This is one of the most wild concepts we keep running into in this podcast is that when you're so cold, you don't need enough oxygen, and then you can just die for minutes on end, and then just come back. Yeah. It's the coolest thing ever. I'd never even heard of that. And we've covered, what, at least three stories now where that was the case. Yeah, or it came into play. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, I've also heard of the frogs that basically die for the entirety of winter, and then they come back. Is that what hibernation is? I have no idea, but that's extremely cool. And that's what happened to Forrest. So Karen stayed at the hospital with him that night, and Doug went home later that evening. And when he got into the house, he couldn't find the dogs until he went upstairs where he found them wedged underneath Forrest's crib in his room. Oh. With Forrest not being in the crib, the dogs knew that something was wrong and were laying under his crib to display their concern, which is what a dog expert said. When I was watching that, I literally was like, huh? And teared up. I know. Oh, God. After keeping Forrest under observation for three days, doctors allowed him to go home, and when Karen and Forrest returned home, the dogs greeted them with such excitement it was like they had been gone for six months. And after that, they stuck to him like glue. Their house was still for sale, and things were not better financially, but at this point, even when people said it was time to get rid of the animals, they couldn't part with Bambi and Bridget. They did end up selling their house, and the family was able to start fresh in White Rock, British Columbia, 
And shortly after their move, Karen and Doug got a call from a company who wanted to honor Bridget and Bambi for their part in rescuing Forrest. The award included a lifetime supply of dog food. That's amazing. So they were able to keep Bridget and Bambi. Love that. Yeah. Can you imagine how heartbreaking that would be to have to sell them? Or just rehome in general. Or rehome at all. Oof. No, that's horrible. Karen said that Bridget and Bambi were like their angels, and she believes that they have them for a reason. Like that Bridget was the runt and they kept her and Bambi was returned. You know, they just, it was meant to be. And Forrest, who's now grown, enjoys running and swimming and playing football and wants to become a pilot in the Canadian Air Force. When Forrest learned about what happened, he said it felt like a blessing that he was alive and he owes his life to Bridget and Bambi. Bridget and Bambi lived for 12 years and passed within a year of each other. The family misses them every day, but feels extremely lucky for having them in their lives. And that is that on that. Amen. Yeah. Shout out Bambi. And Bridget. And Bridget. Right. That's so scary to have like a baby in like a, a pool. Yeah. Oh my mm. God. Yeah. I feel like we're not having a pool. If there's a child involved. In, well, we, we some can bars have a pool. We just put need to get a bars fence. down. We, I had a pool growing up. We just had a fence around it. There was no fence around this pool. That's the dangerous part. Yeah. And it's cold. Anyway, shall we move on to story number four? Moving on. It's short. It's light. I just thought we could end it on a fun one. Shall okay, we? Okay. I'm in. Okay, we're going to go to Vancouver, British Columbia. We're sticking we're in Canada. We're just in Canada. Yeah, we're sticking in Canada. Um, but even our even our uh, bonus episode is in, Ca- is in Canada. So we love Canada, apparently. Shut up. Wait, what province is this in? I don't fucking know. Do I look like a Canadian person? I'm shaming you. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm like, you don't know either, you bitch. Uh, Ontario? Manitoba? I have no idea. I'm just naming... Places in Canada that you places know? Places in Canada. I don't know sure. what... <laughs> What kind of places? Right. So, okay, we're in Vancouver, British Columbia. It is July of 2001. And we're just around Grand Granville's? Granville Street Bridge, heading toward downtown. Okay. Not that we know where that is, but just for you Vancouverians. We're on a bridge. We're near a bridge, not we're on a bridge. We're Granville, baby. Yeah. So, Ray Peterson was a community police officer at the time who was on duty. And the community police office was set up for the community to come in to report minor crimes. Ray had begun his shift at 4 a.m. and was checking on local businesses as he, you know, was starting his day. But once he saw that everyone was fine, he decided to head to his office. It was just after 5 a.m., so still very, very early in the morning, really nobody around yet, and he was just kind of walking down this path on the phone when a duck walked up to him and started pecking at his shoes and his pants. Huh? At first, he thought it was weird and tried to ignore it, but as it continued, he thought maybe something was wrong with the duck or it was injured or something. Like, something was clearly wrong. He still didn't really know what was going on until the duck walked away to the sidewalk and sat down by a storm drain. And so Ray followed the duck and saw that its babies had fallen into the storm drain and they were down in the sewer peeping up a storm peeping you know like wow i didn't this is so weird for a duck to like go get a human's attention i know he was like this is so freaking weird well he so that's why he followed the duck and they were little babies peeping away so anyway after finding the ducklings he decided to call for backup he called for backup for (laughs) the ducklings dude rip that sewer drainage off get a bucket he couldn't he couldn't rip it off it was too heavy do it so allison hill was also working the alpha shift 
which was the 4 a.m. to 4 p.m. shift that he was also on. The alpha shift? I guess it's like the shittiest shift, so they gave it the coolest name. <laughs> They're like, yeah. We're shift alpha. Alpha shift. None of you betas over here. Dude. Starting at 4 p.m., going till 2 a.m. Straight up. up. Yeah, so she got a call. That's the alpha guy. Yeah, dude, he's sick. So somewhere around 5 a.m., she got a call that said, Potential units, we have a duck underneath Granville Street Bridge who appears to have her ducklings stuck in a storm sewer. Oh, my God. (laughs) I can't imagine putting out that call. (laughs) I know. She's the... Allison said the person who was delivering this news was kind of laughing. <laughs> She's like, um, all potential units, someone has to go get these ducks out. <laughs> we get a duck 4-9, please. <laughs> so Allison responded, because what else is she doing other than sitting at her computer? So when she pulled up, she said that if the duck was intimidated by her car or the fact that a new person had arrived, she didn't show it because the duck just sat there and watched. It seemed like she knew that they were going to be the ones to help get her ducklings out so she wasn't afraid or running away really this is so interesting i know and the holes as they inspected the holes in the grate they saw that they were around four to five centimeters apart so it was clear that when this duck walked across it would have been very easy for her babies to just fall in as they followed behind her so the whole time they were trying to figure out what to do as the duck stood next to the grate watching them and her babies. And she was just very calm. She's just watching them. And another officer arrived on the scene and the three of them tried to remove this storm grate. And when that wasn't working, a dispatcher over the air suggested they call a tow truck to help them get the drain off. Soon enough, the tow truck came and they hooked on the drain cover and they were able to pull out the grate. So they just ripped it off? Yeah, and still (laughs) the duck just stood there and watched. But by this time, people had gathered. Like, there was kind of a little group that had gathered to watch them oh, rescue ducklings. Oh, this is just ducklings. a great story, I so... I mean, if I saw people rescuing ducklings, you yeah. better believe I'm standing yeah. there all day watching that shit. That's Tell a- me Netflix is better than that? Ugh. Uh-uh. Not today, baby. So... Ah. Uh, uh, okay. Okay. So, bye. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. By this time, I already said that, people had gathered to watch this, and a resident had offered the officers a soup strainer to... <laughs> To fish out the ducklings. This is real news, people. This is the community coming together to save ducklings. This is very, what is more wholesome? A very Canadian story, I feel like. So once the grate was up, Ray got down on his tummy and he <laughs> and he scooped each of the ducklings out with the soup strainer. And one by one, they ran over to their mother. What a great moment. I know. Is this on film? I mean, there's, like, reenactment, but there's not, like, a real documented uh, video. They have the ducks reenacted? Kind get, of, like, actually. Duck, like, duck actor? We kind Is of there have... such thing as a duck actor? There are trained duck actors, yeah. <laughs> there are. That is insanely funny to me. There's trained dogs. How do you train a duck? There's movie animals. I know, but, like, the concept of training a duck is well, very funny to me. Clearly this duck was just smart. Like, you speak, and it quacks. <laughs> shake and it just like puts its <laughs> what web foot on you <laughs> it's so funny allison recalled that each duckling once they were freed they would like run over to the mother and the mother duck would greet each one with like a beak tap or like a feather a feather ruffle yo they have their own handshakes <laughs> they all have their own handshakes with the mom they got a beak tap like a little fist bump a little, feather, a little ruffle. feather ruffle yep. like <laughs> little combo that is 
insanely funny. I know. This story just keeps getting better. I know. <laughs> and that's really the end of the story. They just went on their way. They literally just saved the ducklings, and then that was that. They just waddled away. They waddled away. Wow. Yeah. That's a great place to end. I know. And it's like, at the end, all the Canadians like, oh, don't you know? And they just got a soup strainer. I feel You know? <laughs> they just scooped them out. I just found the it ducks so funny did it. that it was a soup strainer. <laughs> Someone was like, I have a soup strainer you can use. And he just like got down on his stomach and like scooped him out with a strainer. That's so funny. Anyway, that's that on that. Could you imagine being the duckling? How insane. Being the duckling? How's that weed soda tree? I'm you? not high yet. Okay, stop <laughs> it. This is... You're like, imagine really? being a duckling. Ima- no. Imagine this story from the duckling's perspective. Is this not POV, a valid... POV, you're a duckling? POV, you're a duckling. <laughs> not only are you a duckling, you've been swallowed up by the earth. I bet it was wild being a duckling that day. And then everything's fine. The soup strainer comes in, scoops out. You do your fist bump with the mom claw. and we just like... <laughs> They've been chosen. They've been chosen. You've been chosen. Goodbye, brothers. <laughs> oh my God. We love a Toy Story reference. Yes. All right, I'll shut up. But <laughs> is that not is that not crazy? All it right. is crazy. Um, but anyway, that is our first installment of Pet Hero Stories, baby. There's more, so I could probably do another one of these if we like them. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Sick. We'll see how the reception is. We'll see. We'll give it a minute, breathing time. Yeah. But anyway, what's your good thing? Oh, uh, my good thing is I got to see a good old friend who randomly came in from Mexico City, dude. (laughs) He missed his flight and the only one back to America is to Los Angeles. We got to hang out for a few hours before we went to bed. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. My good thing is I ate immaculate chicken parm today. Oh my God, we need to talk about this. My my new uh, restaurant that I work at is very fancy and I got chicken parm and that shit rocked my world. So anyway, that's my good thing. How much was it from your new oh, restaurant? Ridiculous. Like $40 yeah, for chicken was like parm? Yeah, th- it was like a $40 chicken parm and it was no pasta, just chicken. But it was fucking good. It was tasty as shit. It was, it might have been worth it. Probably not, but it was but probably, really good. Yeah. The bread? Tell well, me about the bread. The bread didn't come with the chicken. I just got it Tell on the side. Tell me about it. Focaccia bread, garlicky, Ooh, pillow, little pillowy, pillowy butter that was great yummy okay. anyway uh sorry if that made i'm you really hungry, hungry right now <laughs> <laughs> it made me hungry too oh but anyway thank you guys so much for listening if you would like to look at all the pictures we post of all the stories we talk about including these pet stories check us out on instagram at not today underscore podcast if you or wait any- if you want to validate our polls and get an extra episode we have the patreon check us out on patreon if you or anyone you know has a story of survival or anything in general if you just want to send me any kind of story send it to me because i've had a couple people being like does this count and i'm like that is so silly please yes of course it counts yes send me your stories at yes queen no today podcast at gmail.com we have a tiktok that is not today podcast a twitter that is not today podcast but the t on the end of podcast is a three because that makes sense sense. and just keep breathing yeah yeah that was a funky one (laughs) 